previously on giving the mic to the wrong person. Hey folks, I'm your friendly neighborhood podcaster, Jeremy. The Democratic Socialists of America is a big tent leftist organization that reached over 70,000 members in 2020. Full disclosure, I've been a dues-paying member since 2017, which longtime listeners will obviously be shocked by. Last year, they held their largest convention of over 1,000 members in a Wizard Tower hotel in downtown Atlanta, right next to a Hooters, a Hard Rock Cafe, and Gus's world-famous fried chicken which I recommend. Over the next three episodes, you're going to hear a series of conversations I recorded with attendees on the final day of the convention, as well as the following weeks after my fellow members from Portland DSA returned home. Let these recordings offer up a snapshot of a movement back in the before time, the long, long ago of August 2019. The online 2021 convention is currently in the opening planning stages, and hopefully this can offer some advice. And now, part two. And we're back. Hey, let's see. Uh, yet in yet another one of our uh, conversations uh, covering the reactions to post-trauma, <laughs> post-trauma processing slash, uh, you know, we're, it's kind of a, we're record, recording our thoughts for future generations, i.e., us when we when we're when we start doing when we start putting this thing together in about eighteen months or less of stuff that happened at the DSA National Convention in Atlanta just in uh, in uh, August of this foul year of our Lord twenty nineteen. <laughs> Um, old Hunter S. Thompson joke. So it's uh, brought together, it, been recording a bunch of stuff with folks about who were delegates to planners, uh, not really planners, of more like just uh, Portland representatives and others there. So brought in, in another two folks who very, very, very thankfully uh, volunteered their time to um Come and talk to uh, my idiot ass about this stuff. If you could please uh, introduce yourself to the viewing audience. Elizabeth Sheher. Um, I've been, I was a member of the steering committee and the uh, eco-socialist co-chair, and um, I was elected, uh, elected, uh, uh, delegate my, chair. Well, yeah, nominated and like, oh, wait, <laughs> let's let them do it. Yes. All right. You know, all support. Yeah. So I, I uh, helped a lot with the uh, planning of getting Portland delegates to the convention. Uh, Sadie Sheher, um, I'm involved in the LSC, the Libertarian Socialist Caucus, the Safety Working Group, and the Resiliency Working Group. I'm a co-chair of the Resiliency Working Group, and I was sort of Elizabeth's assistant <laughs> in getting people to the convention, and I was a delegate myself. Right, and as we mentioned in the other ones, Portland, uh, the way that they, the way that uh, delegates were uh, apportioned, what's that word? I don't know, whatever. The um, it's too early in the morning to think think of pro- to have a uh, proper lexicon working in my head. Um, the way that uh, kind of like delegate numbers were kind of um, divvied out was such that Portland is a large enough chapter that we had twenty nine people attending there, so that was a hell of a thing to get 29 people across the country. It was a hell of a thing. And uh, I, uh, myself, I, um, I was a delegate. I also a- a- attended some of the, uh, you know, for what little help I could offer, um, attended some of the, the planning meetings too, of like what, how we actually get everybody out there fundraising. And cause you know, just the logistical headache of moving this mass of people out there. Now we're the, we're almost we are we're we are weeks out from from the convention. <laughs> Let's just, we'll start with just overall emotional reactions of what you felt, uh, looking either at the time or looking back now of um, of the experience. And I'll leave that I'll, I'll leave that as, as as broad as possible. I think that the convention was um, polarizing in a lot of ways, uh, both. Uh, across the left side of the political spectrum and also emotionally. (laughs) Um, It was maybe the most stressed I've ever been in my entire life. 
uh, but also I've possibly I possibly had the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. It was a land of contrasts. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, I was cautiously optimistic going in. Um, I thought it was a really good opportunity for us to make some structural changes that I thought were really necessary if we're going to keep this organization um, functional over the next 10 years. Um, and I was very disappointed that almost none of the structural changes even got heard on the debate floor. I think that was really, really hard for me emotionally. Uh, plus, there's, like Sadie was saying, just, like, stress and you're not sleeping and you're not eating. Uh, it was uh, it was difficult in a way that I hadn't anticipated it would be. Yeah, the um, that was one of the things, that, uh, a personal reaction that I had, and I think others had mentioned it, too, was that... Um, even folks who had gone to the 2017 convention, which was kind of, I don't know, closest thing to a reset button that uh, had hit for this for this org, was like, no one was really prepared for, or was even adequately uh, warned about it, like just how fucking grueling it was going to be. For some of you heard who either saw, you know, saw any of the footage or saw any of the coverage, or even, you know, there's a, or were you were there? It's kind of a thing where, you, yeah, you remember there is more than a thousand of us sitting in this. <laughs> Ballroom, meeting space. Yeah, is a ballroom. Ballroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, for eight, I don't know. How many, I can't remember how many hours. It was, it was kind of like section. You know, just grueling times of like two hours at a stretch. Before, and then we'd take a break for a, a bit, but we couldn't really go back to our rooms because the elevators weren't quick enough to get there and back in time. <laughs> Twenty minute elevator yeah, rides. It, it was the hotel that we were in was like it. It was a big circle. And it was like 75 stories high and that all the elevators were just in like the middle of the circle. Um, but not all of the elevators went to all of the floors. So like anytime you need to use the elevator on a break, it was literally like a 20 minute wait mm -hmm. just to get on the elevator. And sometimes our breaks were only like 30 minutes. <laughs> so you might spend most of the break just waiting for the elevator yeah it was we were we were in this big wizard tower in the heart of atlanta across the street from that's one thing i did have to laugh at the, just because just, uh, i knew we were, we were effectively in like atlanta's midtown you know their version of midtown but the two the franchises across the street from the hotel were fucking um do y'all remember what they were hooters <laughs> that was one do you remember the other one the hard rock cafe yep yeah uh, the hard rock cafe still fucking exists in the in 2019 <laughs> Yeah, I went there with Fiona for, the for dinner cafe. one night at like 11.30. By the time we actually got food, it was uh, sure was an experience. God, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like what, because I can remember I was a fan of, uh, you know, as a young dorkling, uh, like a fan of like, you know, collecting, collecting Hard Rock Cafe stuff, like back in... I think when I was like a sophomore in high school and now it's kind of thing I'm just looking back and thinking like, ooh, it's like what kind, you know, the... the what kind of merch could they have collected, you know, in the in the intervening, you know, it's kind of like, all right, now we have Adam Levine's guitar pick from 2007. Here you go. It's autographed. We'll put that on the wall and frame it. It was it was like a moment frozen in amber. It didn't look like it had been updated probably since you were there last. Awesome. I really have no idea how exactly how much we want to hit the positive slash the negative stuff. It's kind of a thing. I just at this point, I just want to, you know, I figure this is, you know, uh, I'm enough of an archivist slash, you know, pack rat um, to just like talk to folks on tape and just get shit down because it's like for us to uh, some people have written things out about, you know, and they're even um, having little brainstorm sessions mm -hmm. as to like how to improve this thing for next time. So it's kind of a thing. This is. You know, I'm, uh, a, lot, a lot of folks just kind of thinking things out on mic of, like, reactions and such. What were, uh, what were the two of yours, uh, like, uh, personal highlights, I guess? Mm -hmm. Or, uh, or if personal, how about, yeah, let's just do personal highlights, and then we'll do, like, fave, positive, negative thing, but personal highlights. There was a social. I think it was Friday night. There was an emerge party. Um, and we went to a bar called Church mm -hmm. where there was uh, karaoke, but the karaoke was with an organ. Um, and so you had all of these wonderful classic pop ballads uh, being played in an organ and uh, sung. And there was like crosses up on the walls and baby doll heads also up on the walls. And... Um, 
it was uh, just a really fun time. Um, and I found myself thinking back about it several times, even that weekend when I was like stressed. I was like, well, at least we had the Emerge party. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think my favorite moment was when Evan, um, our external co-chair, got up and uh, <laughs> Sadie already knows what I'm going to say. But uh, Evan get, got up and he's like, this one's for the records. And he starts playing Sabotage uh, by the Beastie Boys. Um, yeah, I thought about that moment a lot all weekend long. And he killed it. He did. Like, yeah. He destroyed that song. <laughs> like and and this is it's church organ karaoke, so there is a man playing the church organ. And singing backup. And singing backup. And you have a sheet of lyrics or you can like look them up on your phone, but it's not like the bouncing ball karaoke where it's like telling you what words to be singing at any given time. You have to know sort of yeah, like you where really you're have supposed to, to be in the song. <laughs> and Evan like just I, was he even looking at the lyrics? No, I don't think so. No, he, yeah. he knew it. He just knew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I might have been at that party too, and because <laughs> uh, Jamie from the Antifada was mm-hmm. one of the hosts, and she did the only pulp song they had, so that that knocked out that choice for me. So I had to do the only Johnny Cash song they had. <laughs> oh yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Everyone was so good. Son was also yes. fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was really, uh, my highlight coming out of the convention. Every time I'm like, what was the good parts of conventions? Like, well, church organ karaoke. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, yeah, like the socials and just like, honestly, like I went into this, into the convention excited to meet people from other chapters um, just like to get different perspectives and you know make connections and maybe make some new friends exchange t-shirts um, exchange yeah. t-shirts though not that many people had t-shirts which was disappointing yeah, that was the drag it's like there yeah. was no there was no swag unlike with the regional there was no swag exchange table like okay everybody y'all brought free shit dump it on here and let's trade yeah and yeah the- that would have been great um, I mean I was hoping for that but um, and I definitely did meet a lot of great uh, comrades from around the country. It was really exciting to meet people, especially from the smaller um, and more rural chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that I didn't expect was getting to know m- the other delegates from Portland better <laughs> and like becoming closer with them as uh, friends as well as you know fellow organizers. So that was that was really great. Mm-hmm. Kind of um, this. I don't want to say. Um not not just say like you know like this like we're 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 this we're the squad going on a mission but uh, <laughs> but know. but there was some trauma yeah. bonding yeah definitely and also it was just great to see like I mean don't get me wrong there's definitely been um, you know drama within the Portland chapter but nothing <laughs> like the drama <laughs> between um, various caucuses and ideological movements or whatever you want to call them within the national org um it really made me appreciate how great everyone in portland uh really works to get along yeah 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 that was the one of the that was one of the things that i noticed too it's like like what the fuck is it and it's like you know <laughs> we uh, but um i will say it helped one of the things that helped i don't think i think they would have really uh should have made clear to people as kind of like a, a tip going forward was we uh, uh elizabeth thanks to your organizational progress set up a group dm so we could kind of like People always like, well, look, everyone's just check, you know, just looking at their phones all the time. It's like, no, because we're talking to each other because we're not, we're not yelling at each other out loud. Yeah. Set up a group DM so we could kind of like, um, kind of like, you know, kibitz back and forth and confer and you know react and or mock and re- or and or strategize <laughs> in real time. Yes, and I think also, I mean, and this is just from my own observation. So if anyone wants to correct me, please do. Um, but. Uh, I think of the larger chapters, we were the only chapter who sat together as a delegation. I know some of the smaller chapters did because some of them only had maybe two or three people or just one person in a lot of cases. Um, but yeah, like I don't think any of the other larger chapters made an effort to sit together as a delegation during the convention and people were often sitting more um, like with their caucuses yeah. uh, than anything else. Yeah, I saw a lot of caucus blocks, but I think yeah. we were the only big chapter for sure. Okay. Yeah, I think, and 
Although I think it, when, where that kind of got messy was it might have been sh- maybe Chicago, but because I always know they're always like, they're always uh, they're always some, somewhat centered. But but yeah, that was one of those things that kind of I think helped for us because of there was a lot of time where you um, and we can kind of at some point this can kind of we can bridge this into kind of issues with the the structure of. The, uh, how things were structured as a as like an ongoing event, or even like how you know how do you, you know rules for the day? At least with you know sitting everybody together, you could you know people could have their questions answered by each other rather than kind of like you know just completely th- um, a thousand people on one mic with the ability to stop everything all at once. If need be, which sometimes is used very well. A lot of times, maybe used not so well just by people. You know, people could have just act. You know, hey. You're there with people you know. Maybe ask them your question first instead of like addressing the you know stopping the chair multiple times in the same goddamn sentence to, uh, for either like clarification. Well, for I was like it's like repeating a statement or something. Yeah, I think part of part of those structural problems happened because they canceled the Roberts Rules training that was supposed to happen Thursday night. I know a lot of small chapters do their meetings uh, a lot more informally, and so then they're thrown together with a thousand people who, like, especially if they're the only person from their chapter, they don't know who to ask, uh, first of all, and then they're, like, thrown in to a system that they're unfamiliar with, and it seems like they're put in a position, especially on the first couple days where everyone's still figuring out how things work, like it really slows down procedures and I really wish we had had that Robert's rules training in the beginning. So everyone would have not an equal footing, but like at least get their bearings beforehand. So I, I had certain dark thoughts of wondering, given the proclivity, giving, giving the displayed, you know, cause even imputing the best of intentions to just giving some of the displayed behavior wondering like, Hey, wait a minute. Had we had that training, would that have necessarily helped or would that have been a thing of, I can't remember what, there's the, the old line of like, you know, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It's like having, you know, like the, like in the, the, the analog that I keep making is, it's like having you know, someone is most dangerous when they're either like a yellow or a brown belt because they know just <laughs> enough to like hurt somebody, but not necessarily enough, uh, uh, like the discipline or, you know, knowing when to use it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I was referring more to, like, there was a comrade who was a row or two in front of me on Friday, uh, and he was visibly lost uh, the whole time. <laughs> and there was some stuff that, like, we were able to help him figure out, but he did take up quite a few points of information that we could have also helped him with if he'd, like, turned around to ask us. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are the kinds of people who would have been served by the Robert Schwill's training. But I, I definitely agree there's the opposite side of that, where it's like, I think proceduralism is itself political, and I think we saw that uh, several different ways uh, during the convention, and I think you're right, that like giving some people that training is giving them the tools to hold up procedural events, for sure. I definitely agree with that point, um, but I also think that because there already were people who were maybe doing that, it might have given some people the tools to know what was happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because a lot of those procedural points were very clearly made to hold up um, debate. And um, I think if people had known that that was happening, they would have maybe... I mean, like, there were several times... especially the further into the convention we got where people were making procedural points and everyone else was upset about it and just kind of shouted them down, which is not, you know, really the way you're supposed to do things, but also (laughs) at the same time, um, you know, helped move debate along, which was important. Um, At the same time, I think it's difficult for me because I think procedural points are important especially on a large scale like that where there's 1056 delegates in a room trying to decide things and while some people definitely did abuse that i think especially from the chair a lot there was like don't make so many procedural points and it's like i don't really think that's a good thing coming from the chair because sometimes procedural points are necessary and i i think that 
again, as the convention went on, there were some procedural points that were important that ended up getting shouted down just because people were so tired of them and the chair didn't help with that. It's a it's a it's a double edged sword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the and there I should say that yeah, the um the people chairing the chairing the, the meetings would rotate Actually, what three or four different people would rotate through? At least three. At least three. three there yeah. were. Yeah, it was Beth. She did most of it, and mm-hmm. she did do a really good job. And yeah. she did a good job of like kind of being like, "All right, let's like let's you know keep our yeah our emotions in check and not like let things get out of hand." Um, Natalie chaired a little bit. She didn't even do that she much. She chaired, so. I think, uh, exactly one motion, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. So just uh, the one motion. I, I could be wrong, but I believe it was just yeah, one motion. Yeah, it was motion. very little. And then, oh no, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Can- Candy called her the elder. Right. Um, and, which, or, and, and or the hammer. Uh, yeah. Um, she, what is her name? She was the, Chris. Chris. Oh, yes. Thank you. Chris. Who was the chair of the um, the steering committee of the NPC? Which I'm still kind of confused why the NPC has its own steering committee, but that's a whole separate uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, honestly, uh, she sucks. <laughs> she just was very clearly she she didn't do that much, but she just like very. I mean, she didn't do that much chairing, but she just like very clearly favored people who were ideologically aligned with her and i think some motions got like really messed up while she was chairing uh yeah yeah i think um coming out of the convention i realized how much power a chair has um i've really only seen emily and olivia do it and uh i think they do a fantastic job and i realized uh exactly how much i valued that coming out of the convention um and kind of how much power a chair has to sway decisions um in a lot of ways emily and olivia are co-chairs of the portland chapter and have been for they got reelected in like at least what two years yeah this is is this their second year this is their second, second year mm-hmm. we hold uh yearly elections for them hello kitty <laughs> yes what's the matter no one's giving you attention at this moment <laughs> You've been fed. Anyway, <laughs> what was um, what was, uh, what was both of y'all's favorite reaction to the uh, uh, from f- either from folks attending or from folks commenting on it from afar that you saw in the intervening month that you think really deserves to be highlighted and or mocked? Um, if we're talking mocks, <laughs> I mean, you know, positive, at this point, like I said, positive, throw it out out there, positive or negative. Uh, the, oh, now I can't remember what they're called. You know, the, what the people who want to clap. Oh, class DSA, class, class unity, class DSA, unity. Yeah. Whatever the fuck that was, the they were called unity party. Is that, are they party? They're, or they're, they're caucus? caucus. The class caucus. unity caucus. Uh, we're allowed to curse on this thing. Right? Yes, in fact, in fact, we're, we're, in fact we uh, people always ask, can we curse on this? And like, yeah, we require it. Yeah, uh, to everyone in the class unity caucus, I just have to say, uh, get fucked. Um, it's not that hard not to clap. Just and you know what? Actually, I would say that if you are using ASL applause, that is still clapping. It's just not putting your hands together. Um, it's not that hard. It was a very simple ask. And everyone could have could have uh, gone along with it, and they chose not to because uh, they suck. And uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Elizabeth. Um, yeah, cl- class unity DSA can get fucked. Uh, I think the other one that was hilarious to me is uh, part of our fundraising gig that we did as oh, uh, delegates um, was to take the entire Portland DSA treasury. And transfer it to swords. Um, a, con- a, a controversial decision, but <laughs> yeah. one that I think uh, yielded dividends. Uh, yeah, and so then we were able to use them as voting cards. No, no, that didn't happen. Uh, however, we did use uh, some of our comrades' excellent uh, Photoshop skills to take our group photo and add images of swords into it. Um, and some people took that very, very seriously, uh, which was hilarious to me. 
Um, I got to tell everyone that, yes, we did bring the swords through TSA. Um, yes, we did use them as voting cards during the convention. Um, <laughs> yes, we did then bring them to the anti-fascist rally we had, like, a couple weeks later. Um, you know, our swords. I love our swords so yeah. much. We all have swords, and we carry them around all the time. And we use them in our everyday lives every single day. Anytime I need to cut a slice of bread, just yeah. break out that sword. You think getting, was a, yeah, getting, you think getting a, um, a standard cruciform sword through TSA is difficult? Try like you know, try you know, trying to uh, try you know, try getting across Portland with it you know with it strapped to your back on your bike. That's um, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, some, that's some work for your ass. <laughs> I think back to the. Back to like I think the social aspect, and w- one of the things that I keep that I keep harping on about, and it's going to be very obvious because I'm probably going to you know in all of these things I've been recording, people I keep bringing it up more than likely, is that that I really notice is in terms of like um, you mentioned um, um, you know meeting people for like, for the, you know from other chapters for the first time, but it was like the parasocial becoming the social of like folks that you've encountering people in real time who like hey I you know I see your stuff on social media or like you know your 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 face is the little square picture <laughs> of suggested friends for the last 2 years or hey I recognize your voice when you talk on mic because I've listened to your podcast for a couple of years now and it was just kind of that was one of the more things that I was really kind of struck by encountering there and it was actually really exciting of like oh cool you're just you know just regular people that i you know know from like media you know uh this liminal media space you know just kind of wandering on you can like have like you know sit down and like have like shitty hotel breakfast with them (laughs) yeah yeah that was um really really fun um to actually see face to face everyone yeah there were definitely a lot of people um who i recognized from twitter who i was like I know you, but I don't really. But I like your Twitter. <laughs> you got funny tweets. Yeah, it was. A th- there were a couple of times where a couple of interactions where um, I had uh, introduced myself by just using like Twitter handle and like, yeah, my that's not my photo. That's my cat. You know. <laughs> An easy mistake to make. Yeah. And then immediately, like, oh yeah, hey, I, I know, yeah, I know who your stuff. You know, hey, how you doing? It's in kind of um, that was yeah one of the fun bits there of. Uh, like I said, just just like I don't know, bizarre, just this bizarre, um, just bizarre manifestation of like how things are now because it's kind of like everything is so almost like dis- disembodied that you know you're working like you know or at least trying to build this mass movement thing, but there's this uh, there's this abstract layer of social media and presentations on there that when you when you go from the you know the online space to the to the meat space and then it's just kind of like okay um, okay you know how how do we do you know how do we take whatever connection that we had before and like use it in the, you know in a real time person to person. Um, interaction to, to build a relationship. Can you talk about what, why you wanted to organize? You know, just the the, the delegation as a whole. So for me, it kind of started with the Unity Conference, that the pre-convention regional conferences that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined um, relatively late in the planning for the unity conference. Um, but I realized when I joined that at that point from Portland, there was basically only one person who had been representing our entire chapter and trying to put everything together. And, uh, this may surprise you, but it's extremely difficult to put on a multi-chapter conference. Um, and I really saw that like this person had not been supported by our chapter in a way that we really should have been. Um, And I wanted to make sure that going into the convention that we were not that far behind um, in terms of like what we needed to do to plan things out. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt that that was like a really important thing, especially for a big chapter with a pretty healthy uh, culture around caucuses and around ideological differences and cooperating together. I felt that it was really important that we had a strong presence and that meant that we need to plan things out. Uh, ahead of time so we weren't just kind of blindsided by all the shenanigans that happen so that's why I a steering committee member signed up to help coordinate and then at that point that kind of like rolled into being delegate chair after Mm -hmm. the elections 
Oh, see? Yeah, going back to the Unity Conference, I was I was supposed to be a delegate um, and a volunteer at the Unity Conference, but I ended up not being able to attend because um, of some health stuff, uh, which was unfortunate. But I definitely wanted to participate in the national convention just because I was, well, I was excited to be a delegate or at the prospect of being a delegate because, um, yeah, I thought, uh, kind of going back to what Elizabeth said earlier, like there were a lot of structural changes that needed to be put in place. I felt, um, as an organization that has grown, uh, just like a lot, uh, since 2016, um, it unfortunately those didn't happen, but that's what I was hoping for, and also just the idea of like getting to represent my chapter and getting to go to Atlanta and um, you know meet comrades from around the country. And I uh, volunteered to help organize the delegation, I guess, uh, mostly because Elizabeth asked me to, <laughs> uh, and uh, we're friends, and so I agreed to do it. Uh, also, I just uh, have a habit of basically volunteering for everything so um which i used yes <laughs> which is fine it was fine it was fun mostly sometimes it was stressful but uh mostly it was like secondhand stress from uh elizabeth which is i don't mind doing because we are friends <laughs> so the lesson is yes uh, put your put your friends to work yeah <laughs> take advantage of their good nature to uh, get things done yeah. that's how we do it here it's, it's, that's the portland way yeah what else uh what else do you think should be really commented on Oh, okay. Uh, let's well, uh, bridging off of again. This, this connects to both accessibility co- uh, issues that we mentioned before, and also structural issues. Can either of you comment on? Because like my personal, one of my personal quibbles was again kind of problems with scale of the. Well, it's at some point cross um, scale was one of those things where at one point I don't know contradictory aims where they want. Uh, can we mention the? Like the, the I guess a very well intentioned and necessary push for in, you know inclusivity and accessibility, especially for uh, you know with like ADA concerns and going beyond those, but also uh, the difficulty of doing that in a room of a thousand people chained to Robert's Rules of Order. You can be you can be as honest or, or as circumspect as you want, but it's uh, it's this it's uh, this is I wish I should say that I'm not po- uh, I'm, when I finally cut this thing together. I don't post it without running. You know, I always make sure. You know, I'm not. Thank God, I'm not, I'm a podcaster. I'm not a journalist, so I always run. I always run. I'm like, yeah. Is there anything on this you don't want out? And sometimes people will say, yeah. Can you bleep that or can you cut that? But anyway, so it's, it's kind of a thing. Feel free to react. But no, I appreciate it. it's just a huge question, um, and I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> Um, start at the beginning, I guess. <laughs> I, I I'll just I'll just say um, yes. It is difficult to scale um, accessibility concerns up to uh, a thousand plus people, but it's difficult to scale anything uh, to a, a group that large. And uh, the easiest way to find out um, what you need to do to scale something to to make things accessible is to ask the people who will need that accessibility. Um, I don't think that happened in this case uh, at all. (laughs) I think there were some basic um, sort of general things put in place, uh, but they could have done a lot more. Um, But honestly, like, they could have done a lot more is basically my reaction to how the whole convention was planned. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like Sadie said, like asking people, but I think an important part of that is like asking before things get planned. Like if you plan things yeah. and then ask afterwards, you have to do twice as much work. Whereas if you ask them before you plan it, it's actually a lot easier. Um, I, I work in middle school. And so a lot of what we do is like talking about how you can adapt curriculum for um, like universally designed curriculum so it works for your tag kids as well as your sped kids Um, and if you do that after you already figure out oh yeah sorry Uh, so um, (laughs) can I wait can I guess yeah (laughs) talented and gifted yeah Um, and so like you're you're really high achieving kids and you're really low achieving kids all sit in the same classroom so how do you teach 30 kids who all have very different needs um 
And the answer is like, you have to consider both ends of that before you actually write your curriculum. You can't do it afterwards because it's, it's a million times harder. Um, and I think we really saw that at the convention. Um, and then the other thing is just how the convention gets moderated by the chair. Um, if someone's clapping and they've been asked to not clap, then interrupt that shit. Don't just like wait for someone to call a point of privilege on it because people get annoyed when people keep calling points of privilege, but the chair was not doing their job in enforcing some pretty basic protocols uh, for accessibility. And so that really uh, double-edged swords. It all comes back to our swords. <laughs> the swords. Yeah, surprising that. Yeah, that was that was that was my take too. Of like, I'm like all four. Okay, if we want to do, if we want, um, I think part of it. I mean, I'm an engineer and kind of more than a little obsessed with like systems and logistics. So it's kind of a thing. Um, and I can't. It's the fun bit about Marxism, especially if you're an engineer. It's like you can't turn off structural analysis, or at least you think whatever you think that you're doing is structural analysis. Anyway, you I mean even like in the moment, I think we've been quibbling people. It's kind of a thing of like realizing, hey, hey, wait a minute, you know the the desire to maxim, you know, have maximal again, you know, inclusivity and accessibility was uh, was was great, but again, at that scale and chained to that rule set. And at this point, Robert's Rules of Order is first edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons rule set, maybe, maybe like 3.5. I can't remember. I haven't played D&D, &D, but it was, I mean, the, the book is like, if you've ever seen a, a book of Robert's Rules of Order, it looks like a, it's a fucking Dungeon Master's Guide because that's what it is. It's, it's a rule <laughs> set, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much a rule set. And, um, but like having, trying to do, a, a, well, I mean, trying to do a meeting with anything that size, but trying to do it where, I don't know. It's kind of a thing. We just just due to the size of the group, it, 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 that it just it just couldn't work. It's one of those, or at least it's the, it was. Or I should say it couldn't work. It, not that it necessarily could not work. It was just really fucking hard. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I there are definitely things I like about Robert's Rules of Order, um, but I don't think it's accessible. Uh, I, but I, I I don't know if there are any like rules of order that are accessible unfortunately we'd have to write our own which i'm not opposed to but <laughs> just sign me up <laughs> just well, think, volunteer myself for another thing <laughs> well i think yeah definitely well, i know that there are definitely um i think it was like martha's rules of order or there's a couple there are, there are other like adapted or created rules it's really just talking just like we're fuck, like we're fucking talking about D and D adapted and other rule sets we can use. Yeah, you know some of some folks like fifth uh, edition. Some folks like Pathfinder, uh, which is three three point five edition. Uh, and also, if if some of you listening have no idea what I'm talking about, feel fortunate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, but it's like there are there are rule sets we can use to uh, to both you know include you know include that aspect, but also maybe that might help a lot better with scalability. Um, but at the time, it's kind of a thing where you know we were you know to to paraphrase the line, we were crashing the airplane while we were building it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, feel free to know, like I said, don't hold back. Feel free to you know, some of the stuff is just me thinking, like talk, you know, thinking into a mic, and so feel free to react one way or the other. I, uh. I have a lot of, I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> um, I like, I also just, I mean, like, oh God, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a way to put this. Robert's Rules of Order, order, I don't think was the actual problem. I don't even necessarily think it was the problem of the chair or the people who wouldn't stop clapping. I think it was a problem in the way the convention was organized and the way the schedule was laid out. Um, How so? <laughs> I think... Uh, so, uh, originally there were over a uh, hundred... Not amendments, but um, resolutions and almost a hundred amendments... Constitutional bylaws changes. I, I don't. I, I don't. I, the uh, resolutions. Yes. I don't. I have no idea how many like bylaw changes were suggested. I think. I think it was uh, eighty nine resolutions and um, only eighty nine. Well, I think. I think they. Well, they. Well, they paired. I think they paired some of them down. Well, they did. They yeah. definitely did. Um, maybe it was over a hundred pages but of resolutions. It, it was over. It was almost two hundred pages of resolutions and amendments put together. Yes. 
And, I mean, obviously not all of those needed to go to the convention floor, because some of them just weren't that good. (laughs) Um, Not enough people were interested in them to even bring them to a national vote. But uh, they laid out a... so, So the... Uh, resolutions, constitutional bylaws changes and amendments were were proposed. We then voted on them um, to prioritize which ones were important. And then those some of were there there were two votes weren't there? There were two sets of polls. The first poll was for the consent agenda. So um, there were different percentages for each um, different type. But if resolutions had like sixty percent or constitutional amendments or bylaws changes, if they met a really high threshold, those would all get rolled into a consent agenda. And then there was a second poll to see what would make um, the debate blocks. Right. Uh, can you, real quick, can you explain what the consent agenda was or was intended to do? So the consent agenda, this is part of Robert's rules, is um, basically a block of items that you can vote on all together and you cannot, there's no debate, you can't make any amendments or changes, you just vote yes or no, and then if you vote yes and it passes, um, all of those things pass as they are written, um, and if you vote no and it doesn't pass, then they go away. <laughs> yeah, and, and the idea is that you save time on debate. You can pull items out for individual concern if you want to debate them. Which um, some people tried. Which some people tried. I think there were... Uh, two attempts to do that um, on two different items um, at, but but the idea is that you you have a, a bunch of things that have broad support that are easily going to get passed and you can just do it all at once at the beginning yes um, so right so we voted in those two things so we had the consent agenda and then we had the, the rest of the agenda <laughs> um, of bylaws changes and resolutions to debate on and then vote on. Um, I think we had, so we had like basically like two and a half days, um, not even full days because there were speeches and reports and other things that were sometimes present, whatever. I, that's a whole separate issue I have, but so we had the agenda to vote on and when, um, when they planned it, when the people planning the convention planned the agenda, they, absolutely knew that there was no way in two and a half days we would get to all of those things and they organized the agenda in a way where the things that they wanted to be debated would get debated first and the things that they didn't want to come up at all would be at the end of the agenda (laughs) so like all of the structural changes uh were at the end of the agenda and we didn't get to them basically there were a couple dues resolutions that we we had to reorder the agenda right. to make space for them yes they wouldn't if if we hadn't been able to reorder the agenda they wouldn't have been discussed debated um and yeah i think they knew that i think that the people organizing the convention knew that i don't think that i know that i know that the people organizing the convention knew that and um they did it on purpose because they uh wanted things to go their way and they they got their way <laughs> Yeah, in the hand. Um, that's what in which I think at the time I was a couple uh, were a couple of us were quibbling, wondering if um, <laughs> was this deliberate or was this fuck up, and is that is there is there a, is there a functional difference? Uh, it was deliberate, and there might not be a functional difference, but that the there is a difference because the, the, uh, there's no reason that a thousand and fifty six people should only have two and a half days. The the National Convention <laughs> is the highest decision-making body in the in the DSA. I said that like a thousand times, a thousand fifty-six times over the course of the convention, but it's true. the The National Convention, which we have once every two years, is the highest decision-making body in the DSA. Not the NPC, not the steering committee of the NPC, the National Convention, and I think I I know that it, it was put together in a way to make it more difficult for us to make changes to the way things are run day to day. The agenda. The agenda, yes. The agenda was put together. The convention was put together. 1,056 people should have more than two and a half days to make decisions about how uh, uh, the organization is going to be run for the next two years. Um, The... um 
Oh well, on the on the question of structural stuff, what would you what would um what would the two of you suggest should be changed? And uh, well, <laughs> feel free just to opine, you know, openly opine about on what should be changed as to how would you actually how would you, you know, how should things be run in a more democratic, more uh, representative, more just accessible in every stage of the term, but something where, you know, folks can actually um, be, you know, uh, can actually like participate in this either like, you know, more, more often meetings, more of a, re- more of like a regional thing. Do we need like a national parliament? Um, uh, feel free to, uh, to, if you have any suggestions. Yes, <laughs> I have, I have uh, a few thoughts. There were a couple things that I was really hoping to get out this convention. Um, one of them was some sort of coordinated regional body um, that could meet more regularly than the convention, but would have more representation than the MPC. Um, and there were a couple different options on the table um, in in different ways that that could be structured. Um, there were three different options. Two of them got deferred to the MPC and one was voted down. Um, and I think um, a lot of people, especially in the Portland chapter, uh, well, a lot of people in general, uh, but specifically in Portland, were hoping for some dues reforms. Um, there were three options on the table for that. One of them would be a monthly stipend to all chapters. One of them would be um, just a straight up greater dues split. And then one of them... Uh, hired a position to teach chapters how to fundraise, um, and the third is the only one that passed. Um, And then there were some NPC accountability and oversight measures that would um, require the NPC to um, give um, notice of meetings and agendas for their meetings and publish the minutes after their meetings and would um, allow members to call in and observe the meetings, um, and none of those were debated. Um, and then the last one that I thought was important would be um, a mechanism that would allow any items that were up for debate, um, but that we did not have time to debate at the convention, would refer them to um, the body as a collective uh, after the convention, so you could vote online um, even after you'd left Atlanta. And um, there was a motion for that to be debated, but I don't remember how that got resolved. It didn't pass, but I don't remember if the motion to uh, hear CB1 just failed or if it was voted down. I think it just failed. I think we just didn't have time to debate it. Yeah, and since that was a a constitutional bylaw change, um, it's just dead. We uh, the way the the way it's structured is that any constitutional bylaws or amendment changes that were not heard at the convention just go away. Any resolutions that are not heard are technically referred to the new NPC. Um, though, if the way it happened after 20, uh, 2017 convention is any indication we'll never hear from those again either. (laughs) I think technically um, any bylaws changes that aren't heard at the convention are referred to the next convention. I think Ben told me that, but don't quote me on that. And Ben, don't get mad at me if that's wrong. (laughs) But we didn't hear any constitutional bylaw changes uh, or amendments from the, that were left over from the 2017 convention. So I, I don't, I mean, there's dead, there's gone, not to be heard from again, to let someone, Proposes a similar one in 2021. Looking back, uh, well, uh, can either do. Actually, shit's already noon, and we're going long. Thanks, thanks again for uh, doing uh, for uh, for coming out today. I I appreciate it. It's, like I said, it's one of those things where I like just talking to folks. Um, obviously and especially just getting everybody's thoughts down about the stuff because everybody has um worth uh worthwhile contributions on this topic you know so what happens when you're you know when, when you're actually bodily there for that many days and yeah although one one a positive thing that i will i will suggest is on the very on the, the last day on the sunday i skipped hotel breakfast and went to waffle house <laughs> to have proper breakfast and jesus christ that was uh, i well a i needed that b the 
that gave me a you know even though you know it's kind of thing where you know we we're, we're in Atlanta in early August so everybody is is hot tired and like act in like dehydrating in real time <laughs> but but that was oh that's another thing um we, we for a couple of years now people you know you a lot, a lot of stuff talks about like you know always the need for self care and I at this point I'm convinced through my own experiences and things I've observed no one has any fucking idea how to do that. Um, <laughs> And they'll say, yeah, drink water. And people forget that. <laughs> anyway, but like I said, just the, the necessity of... At one point, I, would, I think on Saturday, I was I just was stalking around trying to, like, where the hell can I get a breakfast burrito in downtown Atlanta? And I couldn't find any place that was open. Yeah. Um, but just proper breakfast on the very last day of like, all right, we can get whole grains and protein and uh, some carbs, but, you know, more than just kind of like sugar and pastries and, and fruit. And that actually gave me far better uh, reserves to tolerate. Well, maybe it was just because I was just numb by the last day. But <laughs> one of the, I, I, like to, I, like to, I like to ascribe it to the power of Waffle House. Just uh, was able to far better handle the day's, um, the day's processing with, you know, it... Yes, folks, I proved it. It is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely should have gone to Waffle House more. Um, yeah, yeah, Waffle House is good. <laughs> that's that's my one takeaway. It was the it was the underrated highlight of the convention. Yeah, it was, was really uh, good. going to Waffle, Waffle House. House. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where people who grew up in you know, if you grew up in the region, they're like, "What? It's it's fast food. You know, why why do you have people like this so much? It's just fast food breakfast." And they're like, "No, we don't have this. We don't. You know, <laughs> don't. okay, we we like yeah, like some places have. I think there's an IHOP out in like what like." Like what, several miles east of east it's of not here, the same. Yeah, it's like no, you have you need to have a Waffle House. You need to some places open twenty four seven. Either when you're a dumbass drunk undergrad <laughs> on campus stumbling to it, or like even now, it's like a thing. Where like oh god, I you know I need food. Anyway, yeah. Well, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, I think it's just you're staying up until like four in the morning, and you're waking up at like seven seven <laughs> because you have to go reserve a block of seats and um no yeah yeah it, it, we were all just a hot mess uh and more waffle house would have been more better yeah yes <laughs> if only yeah if only we could have yeah we should have been if only we could have like been served uh, some of waffle house's hot mess that would have uh prevented <laughs> yeah. some of the other stuff yeah. yeah i do think um just for <laughs> For future me, uh, listening to this podcast before the next convention, uh, drink more water and eat more Waffle House. Um, Get more sleep. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think I'm not going to make promises to myself that I'm not going to be no, able to keep. No, but um, uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like I had some really great times at this convention. I also had some really terrible times at this convention. <laughs> um, it was on the last day after the convention had closed. We'd already checked out of the hotel, but we were still sitting like in the lobby <laughs> waiting to go to our flight. Um, it was like the purgatory. Yeah. There were like a group of us who were on the same flight back. So we were just like sitting in the lobby, basically. And we were all just kind of like... <laughs> numb? Uh, numb. Yeah. We were all kind of sitting there. Uh, I, I myself had spent a good chunk of the day crying. I think a lot of other people had as well. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but, like, I just started, like, laughing, and then I was like, and everyone's like, why are you laughing? And I was like, I'm going to do it again <laughs> in two years. Yeah. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, that was the one thing is, the very last, just the... One thing I don't think I communicated out to anybody who wasn't... You weren't there, man. You know how it fucking was. You just saw that shit on the live stream, man. Um but it was really, yeah, it really was, is, I think, the experience of being there, but just the, the internal, emotional, um, like, fucking storm and drang of going on of, like, of, like, you know, the, the, the dizzying heights and the most staggering lows <laughs> but happen, happening back to back in rapid succession and, the, and, and with no, with no time allowed for discussion or processing. Cause it, sorry, you know, no, no room, no room, move down, move down, no room, no, no room, move down. Just the constant push of, uh, you know, push, push, push of the, of the, of the process moving on. That's the, like all the stuff was just hammering to you in the, in this consecutive way that, um, again, the, the grueling aspect of it, I just, I don't think it was communicated physically or emotionally to like a lot of people. And I, I can, um, where, I mean, yeah, on that Sunday, it was a thing of God, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. It was the kind of a thing of like just sit. I think I remember on the very end, um, on the the end of the last day, and like they, everyone starts singing like Solidarity Forever, and like I couldn't sing because I was choking up so much. Like I was just just like crying, and like I can't, I can't to the point where I couldn't even sing. I uh, I had left the room at that point. I got up and walked out as they were singing it. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth and I are both members of the LSC, and we had had several. Um, we we had like a little meetup. The LS people who were there from the LSE had like a little meetup every day, um, just to go over the convention and also you know to meet each other, meet comrades from across the country. And at the end of the two previous days, we had at, at the end of our meetups, we had sung "Solidarity Forever," and I really felt it um, when we were doing that. And then to have it sung at the end of the convention by the convention as a whole was almost like like a cosmic joke um because i honestly i didn't feel solidarity with a lot of the people there i felt that a lot of people there were there for personal gain and um to push their own agenda and not to make the organization better um, and so to have them singing Solidarity Forever felt like a slap in the face. Um, so I got up and I walked out. <laughs> I think I think Sunday was the hardest day. One, because like we've been talking about, you're like physically exhausted and emotionally spent. Um, but that was also the day that everything uh, I had been there for either failed or was voted down. Um, and it was also the day that... Um, the anti-fascist work group uh, vote was recalled. Um, they wanted to do another division of the House um, and vote on it again. And it was just uh, the lowest low for me was Sunday, uh, pretty much the entire convention of Sunday. And yeah, like Sadie was saying, to have them sing Solidarity Forever after that just felt uh terrible actually <laughs> yeah they were singing solidarity forever after having voted down a measure called no one is too poor for dsa so i don't really think that they felt it because i sure as hell didn't well uh, it might have been a thing of just uh if nothing else at least uh an aspir it is an aspirational song too so um perhaps trying to reach for something better how would you have? Um, like, well, actually, I was going to say how how would we have prevented the problems that we saw on Sunday? But I think we've already kind of addressed that. Um, I can't really think of anything else other than it's this kind of thing where, like, yeah, they uh, with just the structure of the convention of like it's a thing where if you if you, if uh, if the if the if the process was such of doing this was grueling and intolerable for the most able bodied and narrow tip folks there. Like, how could we, po- you know, how could we possibly have done anything with anybody who wasn't at that, you know, who didn't have that, you know, that high, that that highest stamina stat? Yeah, I think it goes back to sort of what Elizabeth was talking about earlier. We ask them before we start planning the next convention, like, have what do you need in order to be able to participate in this convention? Um, yeah. That's it. I personally think the convention needs to be longer, um, and I think it needs to be free for everyone who's participating. And I'm not talking about like reimbursement via scholarship uh, weeks or months <laughs> after the fact, because um, I know some people still haven't gotten their scholarship reimbursements. I'm talking scholarships. I'm not talking about travel share. I'm talking about people who couldn't afford in the, it in the first place. Um, we... Uh, we are spending $500,000 in an independent expenditure campaign for um, the Bernie Sanders campaign for um, president. And um, if we can do that, we can uh, pay for a thousand people to go to a convention altogether to vote as the highest decision-making body in the DSA. (laughs) Should we, should it, um, my question is, should it be, um, Given that a thousand people is more than twice, we had more than twice what you know the actual combined U.S. Congress is right now. Is a thousand people a I don't know healthy number to kind of meet and decide these things either you know either on a regular basis or even like on a on a, on a you know every two years? I heard um, some members of our chapter wonder if maybe um, 
So the way delegates are decided is they're apportioned based on one delegate per 51 members of the chapter. Um, and there's sort of two questions that come up with that is like, one, how accurate is the membership count? Um, that's a concern that came up uh, more than once in the convention is that we can't seem to have accurate membership numbers uh, for the org as a whole. And then secondly, like, rather than 51, should it be maybe 100 members of the chapter? Um, and that way you're able to um, maybe find a smaller space, maybe have um, an easier time uh, wrangling so many delegates into the area. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely is cheaper for catering and just some like basic logistical things. Um, and that's a possibility, but I think we as a big chapter are affected by that differently than um, like Eugene, who is a much smaller chapter. Um, and so while the like proportionate number of delegates would be the same between us and Eugene, um, I think it's very different flying 15 rather than 29 versus flying two rather than four. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very different convention experience. Right. Um, would you do it again? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Um, I think I'm here today doing this podcast because I uh, will do it again. And I hope that it's a better experience next time. Yes. My hysterical proclamation at the end of the convention <laughs> still holds. I will be there in 2021, barring any, um, you know, tooth and claw. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, again, thanks. For, thanks for your time uh, this morning. Is there anything... Is there anything anything you wanted to talk about or uh, bring in that we ha that we haven't mentioned yet, like thoughts or reactions or uh, recommendations or just memories that you just want stuff that you just want to make sure gets down on tape? Um, I feel that I have said a lot of negative things <laughs> uh, over the course of this uh, recording, and I stand by what I said. Uh, but at the same time, I do want to drive home the point that. While it was the most stressful time of my life, it was also some of the most fun I've ever had, um, getting to know my comrades better, both um, from across the country and from Portland is um, something that I cherish and hold dear to my heart. Um, and as far as action on the convention floor, um, I'm so proud and happy that we passed the National Anti-Fascist Working Group, that we passed the... Um, international solidarity um, anti-imperialism block um, that we passed the child care uh, that we passed the uh, sex worker uh, solidarity um, and yeah the, the, there are several others that I'm sure I'm forgetting but just off the top of my head I'm very happy that those passed and I'm very excited to see what happens with them going forward and also I'm very excited that um, Jen and Sauce got elected to Jen M and Sauce got elected to the NPC um, because I love them. <laughs> yeah, um, I think everything that Sadie just said. I think um, I think I really struggled coming out of the convention because Sadie just listed like a bunch of amazing resolutions that I'm really glad got passed, and then it's like, why do I feel like I lost coming out of the convention? And I think. Uh, there's two things that really stood out to me. One is that I didn't feel like the debates at the convention were camaraderie. I felt like there was a lot of um, misrepresentation of different resolutions, um, either um, because people didn't have time to read through several hundred pages of like really detailed, um, sometimes boring, but really important um, like resolutions and I wish that we had more time to deliberate ahead of time um, and work on consensus rather than debate, because when you win a vote by 51%, it doesn't feel like you're winning um, and you don't have the momentum of the org behind you for a lot of things. And I feel like we're going to spend the next two years fighting to prove that the things that we passed are worth passing. Um, and I hope that next time around, we have enough time to have those conversations beforehand so that we really feel like we've come out with something tangible. Well said. Like I said, it was, it was the, the odd experience of 
encountering people like, hey, wait a minute, I recognize your voice, or I've talked to you, you know, or pre- encounter people that I've talked to on like a on like the Chapo fan Discord server for two years, <laughs> and just kind of wandering like, oh, hey, you know, it's like, wait a minute, I, you know, wait, I know you is you know. Flashing back to uh, all those uh, the bulletin board meetups that would go to as a teenager, where you had to, where, you know knowing people only by their online handle <laughs> versus their real name. Yeah. Hey, other than that, I think that's pretty much all I have. Unless there's any like any last things. Is there? I guess um, I'm trying to think of if there's any. Uh, um, this is yeah, who knows how timeless is. Is there anything right? Is there anything you're working on right now that you are very uh, that you're. Um, that you're that you will either want more people to hear about or that you are particularly proud of. Um, I think coming out of the convention and having postponed any decision about a regional body, um, several members of Oregon DSA from different chapters are going to go ahead and do it anyway. Um, so I'm really excited to see that build out and what happens when we get Oregon DSA up and running. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. <laughs> We're also working on a, a LSC convention. Uh, for 2020 just as a caucus um, which is exciting because I really do love all my LSC comrades um, and I'm excited to get to see them again and we're calling it Yurtvention because we want to have it in a yurt the biggest tent of all the biggest tent of all a yurt more conventions, I guess, is what we're thinking. We, yeah, we, we didn't come out of this afraid yeah. of conventions. We're, <laughs> no. in fact, doing more conventions. We want more. <laughs> it's not enough conventions. <laughs> Excellent. And, uh, all right, well, uh, without that, I think that's, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, and we're out. To be continued on the next episode of Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person.